the reading of the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. You may be seated. Before I begin to read this, I think I'll tell you it does take an entire community to be church. And we're doing it really well today. (laughs) Jesus said to the disciples, The kingdom of God is like the owner of an estate who went out at dawn to hire workers for the vineyard. After reaching an agreement with them for the usual daily wage, the owner sent them out to the vineyard. About mid-morning, the owner came out and saw others standing around the marketplace without work and said to them, You, go along to my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is fair. At that, they left. Around noon, and again in the mid-afternoon, the owner came out and did the same. Finally, going out late in the afternoon, the owner found others standing around and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? No one has hired us, they replied. And the owner said, You, go to my vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner said to the overseer, Call the workers and give them their pay, but begin with the last group and end with the first. When those hired late in the afternoon came up, they received a full day's pay. And when the first group appeared, they assumed that they were going to get more. And yet they received the same daily wage. Whereupon they complained to the owner, This last group did only an hour's work, but you've put them on the same basis as those who have worked the full day in the scorching heat. My friends, the owner said to those who voiced the complaint, I do you no injustice. You agreed on the usual wage, didn't you? Take your pay and go home. I intended to give this worker who hired last the same pay as you. I am free to do as I please with my money. Or are you envious because I am generous? Thus, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Hear what the Spirit is saying. God has no common sense. (laughs) In this parable, God, the landowner, goes out into the marketplace looking for workers. And God goes out at morning, noon, and nightfall, five times in all, finding workers all the day long, since none of them had anything else to do that day. The landowner brings in the last ones first, paying them before the first ones. Then, adding insult to injury, the landowner pays them all the same amount. This is an outrage 
to the early workers who had borne the heat of the scorching sun all day long and received no more than the Johnny-come-latelys. N.T. Wright, whose commentary was read just before the Gospel, says that Jesus didn't intend this parable as a comment on the social justice of his day. Of course not. Jesus is rather accepting the social and economic power of the landowner in order to say something about God. The landowner, God, hired all the workers, one bunch after another, and treated them at least fairly or even lavishly. That is what it is like in the kingdom of God. Reverend Wright thinks that this is also an instruction, a warning to the disciples as an attitude adjustment. Just before this chapter in Matthew's Gospel, the disciples have challenged Jesus. They were perhaps expecting that when Jesus brought in his kingdom, they would become rich and famous. But this is not what God's kingdom is about. God wants everybody in the kingdom, and at all times. No matter who we are, God deals graciously with all of us. And God is always searching for us, and will take us when we are empty-handed and put us to the task. If you want to read a simple but good book, I recommend Bob Goff's book called Everybody Always. It is a shortened title for Love Everybody Always. In Everybody Always, Goff tells funny and poignant stories teeming with grace. The point of this parable is that what people get from having served God is not a wage at all. It is not strictly a, a reward for work well done. Because grace is not the sort of thing that you can bargain with or store up. It isn't the sort of thing that a person can have a lot of or another person have only a little. You see, God doesn't make contracts as if we could bargain or negotiate for a better deal. God makes covenants. God promises us everything and asks for everything in return. When God keeps promises, God is not rewarding us for our effort, but doing what comes naturally to God's overflowing, generous nature. God surprises everyone by doling out lavish, divine grace. I'd like to tell you about my mother and my great Aunt Mary. My mother told me a story of something humiliating that happened to her around the time of the Great Depression. She was the one in the family who handled my father's earnings, and this one time she had come up sorely short. She knew that Aunt Mary was miserly and would have money to spare, but she had to swallow her pride to go to ask Aunt Mary for some help. Aunt Mary was a hard woman, and she blamed my mother for letting her money seep out through a hole in her bucket, so to speak. My mother felt humiliated, but she took the $50 and told Aunt Mary, I don't even have a bucket, let alone one with a hole in it. 
forward a generation. I was a single mother with two young children, and my mother knew I was just scraping by. I didn't even have to ask her for help. She sent me a very generous check, which I have saved all these years after cashing it, for $500. And she told me the story of Aunt Mary. And my mother wrote in the memo line of her check for a new bucket. <laughs> if today's gospel is meant to tell us what God is like, I would have to say God fills our buckets with grace. God lets the divine water of overflow past the rims of our buckets because God deals from abundance. There's always enough of God's presence and grace and love to shower us and soak us. There's no shortage of God's mercy, kindness, and forgiveness. And God doesn't forget about us or make us explain our behaviors or tell us it's too late. With God, there are always second or third chances or more. I spent a long time in parish ministry, and I can tell you that most parishioners will forget that God is a God of abundance. When things come up looking like they are short, there's a tendency to shrink into scarcity thinking rather than abundance thinking when it might seem that there are not enough people to do the ministry or not enough funds to propel the church forward in its mission. It is scarcity thinking that says, we just can't do it. On the other hand, when we deal in abundance thinking, we look for the good news about how God can make things possible how we can rely on the generous nature of God to show us a way forward. So I hope we can think of this parable when we consider ourselves here at Living Beatitude Community. It is the divine nature to deal with us abundantly. And God loves everybody always. No exceptions. So what would God have us do today? Relying on God's word, I'd say, live openly, generously, and in connection with God and others. You won't be surprised if I tell you that this parable can be read at a deeper level, too. Richard Rohr has spoken of four different worldviews in his writings. I'm going to refer to two of these today. First, there is the material worldview. That is the view we have been concerned with so far. He says, because people can most easily see the outer visible universe, it is considered the real world. The material world is about common sense and wages and buckets. Rohr thinks that the material worldview is often preoccupied with scarcity. And I would add that it divides one person or one worker from the other. And it looks to see what the other guy is getting for his or her reward. It looks at who is first in line 
and wants to be that first one. In contrast to the material worldview is the incarnational worldview. This one relies more on awakening and growing in our consciousness. Sincere and longtime seekers of the divine may experience the incarnational worldview, what Rohr calls the Christ consciousness. It does not just fall into your lap. You have to know that it is deeply significant and seek spirit in and through matter. Authentic Christianity is a life and death system. You have to give away your life and your love and your death. In giving all away, you connect with all creatures and with God. The final sentence in Rohr's first appendix to the universal Christ is a statement. You do not need to name this universal manifestation Christ, however, to fully live inside of it and enjoy its immense fruits. So now the final part of my sermon is at this deeper incarnational level. It is about living in joyful connection and service to God and others. We can take a page or two from my two favorite Buddhist monks, Thich Nhat Hanh and the Dalai Lama. They certainly live inside the universal manifestation of the divine, what we would call the universal Christ, and they enjoy immense fruits there. I will abbreviate their teachings here to make one point. Thich Nhat Hanh uses the term interbeing to describe the interconnection of all creation, saying, when you touch one, you touch many. When you touch many, you touch one. To use a more popular expression, we're all playing on the same team. We are interdependent. Anything done for one is done for all. To this end, the Dalai Lama teaches that at the deep level of interdependence, not only material generosity matters, but also generosity of the heart. Generosity is manifold. It means giving material goods, giving freedom from fear, giving spiritual counsel, and giving love. So promoting the well-being of others calls for our generosity in action, in word, and in thought. It is a happy coincidence, or perhaps a providential happening, that we have these teachings about generosity today when we are receiving a visit from our friends representing the food bank. So we are acutely aware of feeding our neighbors with whom we share the resources of food. God has provided for all of us. It's a matter of deciding to relieve the human suffering of our neighbors, ones we will probably never see. But we know they're there. If we feed one neighbor, we're feeding many.
We are all the better for it when our food is shared. Perhaps you could be considered wealthy in the eyes of some. Our learnings today appeal to us to consider sharing our resources with them. We could call it philanthropy or more simply generosity. The Dalai Lama also says that even in those with more limited means, an attitude of generosity has huge benefits in opening one's heart and bringing one a sense of sympathetic joy and connection to others. Isn't this the way we wish to live? In joyful service and connection with God and others. And the church says, Amen. Amen.